You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Jen, and thank you, kids. That was wonderful. And if you, again, have, haven't been with us, or maybe this is your, your first Sunday here in a while, we have been in a series called The Songs of Christmas. So we were, we were thrilled when we found a kid's book that would really celebrate that with us and introduce that once again. Our thanks to Jen and our kids, you just caught, got caught up on the series we've been in. Because in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel writer records for us these series of songs that various people sang when Jesus was born. And today we come to the angel song, and we'll look at that together. But one more time, I just would like to pray as we now open God's word together. Lord, again, I thank you for each person who is here, who's listening, who's watching. Lord, we thank you that you are real. And as we approach what happened some 2,000 years ago, would we remember that this is not a fairy tale, this is not a fable, this is history. This really did happen. And you're coming for us as a gift, the gift from the Father is a life-changing reality for each one of us if we will respond to that and receive that. And so, Lord, we pray for you to continue to work, to speak to us, and to help us remember together who you are and what you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. So, Christmas is a time of, of gift-giving. You know, God the Father gives us Jesus as his greatest gift to us. And so we, in celebrating and remembering that, give gifts to one another. And I'm reminded that there are some of you who are very gifted gift givers. Maybe you have someone like that in your life. I certainly do mine. Jamie is one of the most thoughtful, intentional, deliberate um, wonderful gift givers I've ever known. She has this uncanny ability with the people in her life who she loves to not just give them what they want, but give them what they need. And it's just maybe you have someone like that in your life. I mean, it's a pretty fun person to have in your life, right? But then there are people like me who need a little help when it comes to gift giving. I've had some epic failures, but I've learned some things along the way. And so I thought for the benefit of all of us, we would maybe just very quickly, as we think about the reality of gift giving, if there were some guiding principles we could keep in mind, you know, as we prepare to exchange gifts with one another, this being Christmas. So I went to the source, Google, and, and, and looked up, you know, some principles of wise gift giving, and there was lots of do's, and there were some don'ts. And, and one of those don'ts was, you know, don't give a gift necessarily that hasn't been, been asked for. And so I thought, okay, so, so what does that mean? Give me a little more specifics. And it went on to say, well, for starters, don't give a gift of personal hygiene, Unless it's been requested, right? And I thought, okay, there's something there. Don't give self-help books unless it's been requested. Because the reality with gifts is that they, they do come with a message, 
right? So if someone were to give me, you know, a self-help book on the 10 quickest ways to lose weight, there would, there would be a message there, right, that I wasn't necessarily asking for. And then they talked about this reality of gift, re-gifting, rather, and we won't have a show of hands here, but who hasn't re-gifted something that has been given to them that they didn't necessarily want, right? And the guiding principle with this was, well, that's okay to do in most cases, but would you take the tags off? And would you not re-gift it after you've used it once? You know, by way of example, Jamie and I, and I feel safe telling you this story because it was none of you in the room or watching or listening online who did this, but someone re-gifted something to us, and it was obvious it was a re-gift because the tags were still on it, and that's okay, but it was towels, and that's okay too, but the towels came with hair on them. So, you know, it's like, okay, that was, that was kind of a miss, you know, or the person who gives another person a nose hair clipper without it being requested, right, you know? Those are the kind of things we, we want to steer clear of, for sure. But the reality is, gifts carry a message. And so, with that in mind, with Jesus being God's gift to us, and with what the angels will sing and glorify and praise God for, what is the message there for us? What is the gift that God the Father gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ? And is it a gift we really need? And even more tellingly, is it really a gift that we want? Well, let's look at the angel's song together as we reset things and look at what happened some 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born and came into the world. And we'll pick up the story once again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I, I appreciate the reality in a gathering like this on Christmas Eve that there are, in fairness, probably, most likely, a number of spiritual journeys being represented here. And so, in fairness to that, I don't want to assume anything as we walk through what we just read there. So, the first thing I just would like to do business with together is this idea of giving glory to God. What, what is that really about? What, what, what does that mean? And in many ways, this is more intuitive than we might know. I think regardless of your spiritual journey, you, where, you're, where you're at with that, I think you intuitively really get this, whether you know it or not. How many of us are sports fans, by way of example? Okay, yeah, and the rest of you are saying, I'm not raising my hand, and that's okay. 
But statistics tell us, and again, I went to the source. I went to Google. So if it's on Google, it's got to be true. But somewhere between 70 to 90% of us, depending on the poll, identify ourselves as sports fans. We have some kind of team that, that, we, that we watch or cheer for. And many of you who know me know that one of my favorite teams is the Seattle Seahawks. And so some seasons ago, I had a chance to go see a, a, a live game. And my brother-in-law, Jamie's brother, um, he has season tickets to the Seahawks. And he always manages to squirrel me in every season to a game. And so I thought, when in Seattle, you know, act like a Seahawk. So I got my hair colored and, you know, showed up there at Lumen Field and that's my college buddy and my, my brother-in-law there to the side of me. And so we're at this game. And have any of you, by the way, ever been to Lumen Stadium for a Seahawks game? Okay, they say it's the loudest stadium in the NFL. It is. I, I can tell you that personally. When the Seahawks do something worth cheering for, which isn't, you know, happening a lot this season, but <laughs> let's call a horse a horse. We're about truth here. <laughs> At this season, at this juncture, this was a playoff game, and they won, which again, miraculous, but it was amazing because I couldn't hear for two days. I mean, it was, it was loud, and it was crazy, and people were celebrating and just going crazy. You know, you've experienced this before. Maybe you've been to a Blazer game, and again, I know <sighs> we're just happy when the Blazers win a game. You know, there's not a lot to cheer about this season, but, and I'm a Blazer fan, or you've been to a concert, but you've been to a live experience where it's kind of a goosebump experience where it's loud and everyone's singing and yelling and celebrating and high-fiving. Well, that's in essence what's happening here is, is these angels are praising God for, for what he's done and, and what he's doing with this gift of Jesus. And now let's cut to the chase. We read it together. What is this gift that Jesus gives to us. What are the angels praising God and glorifying God for? It was embedded in there. It was one word. And it's easy to read past. Peace on whom his favor rests. Peace. That is one of the principal gifts that Jesus gives us. So, so can, we, can we walk that through for just a minute? Is that truly what you and I most need? If gifts carry a message, and one of the amazing messages of Christmas is that God gives us peace through Jesus, do we really need that? Well, let's take that for a test drive. Do we need world peace? Yeah. The war in Ukraine, the war between Russia and Ukraine, and even more recently, what's going on in the Middle East, the war between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and Palestine. Yeah. Okay. We need world peace. How about political peace? Do you know what the most consistent poll is about this presidential election cycle we're going into in 2024, the most consistent poll time after time that they keep taking again and again about the election, it's that everyone's ready for it to be over. Everyone will be relieved when we just, when we just get through it. 
So yes, we're in search of political peace. How about relational peace, interpersonal peace? Do you need that this morning? Well, for a number of us, if we're honest, that will be put to the test today, tomorrow, next week, because we're getting together with family. And where two or more family are gathered... We'll just leave it there, okay? <laughs> yes, we need interpersonal relational peace. How about personal peace? What are you up against this morning? What are you afraid of? What's causing you anxiety? Uncertainty? From my conversations with folks this week and even this morning, almost every single one of them could put their finger on something that falls into that category. So do we need personal peace? Yeah. Yeah, we, we really do. And, and what God is promising here is, is peace. So is he promising Interpersonal peace, relational peace, personal peace, world peace, political peace. Is that the peace that's being talked about here? And, and the answer is yes, but that's actually not going deep enough or far enough. There is a peace that underlies all those other pieces. There's a peace that that is even more transformational, even more significant, that really is the foundation that all those forms of peace are based on. And it's peace between us and God. Which again, because that's a gift to us, has a message for us. Why do we need peace between us and God? Because you're his enemy. He's not yours, but you and I all start out as his. I mean, look what the Bible says here. In the New Testament book of Romans, it says in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Okay, we're on board with that. While we were still sinners, oh, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And there's, there's so many realities here. One is this reality of sin, which we've largely lost language for. We don't hear that a lot in our culture. It's a reality, but we don't really talk about it in that way. And I think in fairness to all of us, few of us would think that we're an enemy of God apart from receiving this gift of peace of Jesus into our, into our lives. But the reality is that when you and I live our lives without God, we live our lives independent of God, that, that is what the Bible calls sin. And so many folks think, okay, God does his thing, I do my thing, and it's, it's, it's not a thing, but that is a thing. 
Because once again, the reality is we're all made in God's image. So your desire, my desire for relationship, for intimacy, that actually comes from, from God. We're hardwired for it. And how does it feel if someone we love in turn says to us or acts out towards us, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't care about you. I'm going to do my own thing. It doesn't matter what you think. That doesn't feel real great. And yet, that's where all of us start. Sin is the great equalizer. We all start out there. We're all sinners apart from a right relationship with God. And the only way that peace is made between us and God is through Jesus Christ. It's not through religion or ritual or trying harder or not doing this or trying to do that. In fact, the incredible dynamic, one of the incredible realities of Christmas is that Christianity, the Bible, is the only worldview, the only religion that teaches and declares and says that you don't seek God. God has come seeking you. That is what Christmas is all about. To make peace with you. To make peace with me. And it's, it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done for you. It's about responding to that by receiving him into your life. Have you done that? Is he... Your peace. Is he your, your prince of peace? Because, again, the, the amazing thing is that without his help, you're not even going to be able to respond to that. In fact, the reality is the very fact that you are here, that you're listening or watching this, is proof that God is working in your life. Jesus himself said, no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn by me. So he's at work in your life. You're already responding to him, but have you made that defining moment decision to respond to him by receiving him into your life as your Lord and Savior, as your peace? Because if you do, it transforms your life because this isn't about a principle. This isn't about a religion. This is about a person and a relationship. The, the one true God coming into your life. That's where true peace is, is found. Now, I know that a number of you have made that defining moment decision. You've received Jesus into your life, and therefore he gives you his peace. He's made peace between you and God, but he also gives you peace. But some of you might say, you know, that doesn't seem to be working real well, though, in our world. And Jesus would agree with you. He said before he died and came back to life and went to be with the Father, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's still going to be world war. That there's still going to be political systems. That we're going to be tempted to look for a political savior and there's going to be all these broken forms of, of government. And if that wasn't enough, he also said before he left that in this world you will have trouble. Now, aren't you glad you came to church on Christmas Eve to hear all that, right? But the best part follows. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, for some of us, we need to redefine what peace means because... 
for those of us who have received Jesus into our lives, who have experienced his peace, sometimes we reduce peace to just being the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of... It's way more than that. There is such a tremendous hope here because when Jesus comes back a second time, just as he came the first time and we celebrate that, he comes back a second time and he's going to restore everything to the way it intended to be because the biblical idea of peace, and this is where the hope becomes so tangible and so real, the biblical idea of peace is shalom. It is the restoration of things to what God always intended them to be, well-ordered, harmonious. It's not just the absence of the bad stuff. It's the presence of the best stuff, which means practically for you and me, as good as things are, and man, things can be so good. Your family's together. You're actually not fighting, and you're enjoying one another, and you're eating good food and opening presents. You know, all that has its place. It's good, and that can be really good. Life can be really good. And the promise here is that it's going to get better. But also conversely, life can be profoundly hard and difficult. And so many of you are up against just heartbreaking, hard, difficult things. And you have to hear this. As hard, as bad as things are, ultimately they are going to get better because of who Jesus is and what he's done and the fact that he is coming back. But we have to remember that Christmas celebrates and signals and helps us remember that the divine rescue mission is in motion. God is in the process of restoring shalom. It is not, okay, let's just hang on and wait till Jesus comes back. No, he encourages you, asks you, commands you and me to join him in the divine rescue mission. He's at work. Even when you and I can't see it. Even when it doesn't feel like it. And he calls us to join in that work. You know, we do a thing here, and we've done it for about 14 years now, I think. Done it a long time. Called um, the Advent Conspiracy Community Christmas Party. And years ago, we adopted East Gresham Elementary. We get to host a Christmas party for them. And we get to give away food and Christmas trees and presents and crafts and just all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's just so much fun to be able to, to do that together, to do that as a community. And again, we're not patting ourselves on the back and saying, wow, look how great we are. No, we're saying, look how great this God is, all that he's given to us. And so therefore, we want to share what, what he's given to us with, with others. And so all that being said, almost every year without exception, I get a phone call or two on my landline that a message is usually left because I, I'm not usually near my landline very often. I'm just amazed it still works. You know, I don't use it very often. I use my cell phone all the time like you do. But there'll be a message and it'll be blinking and I go and hit that message and listen to it. And invariably, it's someone who's never experienced this community Christmas party before. And, and they'll thank us as a church and, you know, they, they don't know who to thank. So it gets routed to me and I do my part, but I have very little. There are so many others who get far more credit for pulling off the community Christmas party. But all that being said, they want to express their thanks. They do. And then often, not all the time, but often they will say, I got to be part of that. I don't go to your church. I'm not a part of a church. But what you do I want a skin in the game with that. I want to be part of it. And I'll never forget this one lady who left that message. And I thought, okay, that's nice. And it was kind of the first time I'd heard that. And she literally showed up 
the next year at the party and said, I, I want to help because I want to be a part of this. You see, God works through ordinary people in extraordinary ways. I mean, we even see it in the Christmas story here. You know, the shepherds get angels, right? I, I would like to see an angel. Just one. They got a choir. <laughs> Just one. But most of the time, that's not how it works for most of us. The shepherds get angels and everybody else gets shepherds. Do you realize that? <laughs> in the Christmas story, how is the message carried forth 2,000 years ago? It's, you don't get any more ordinary than shepherds, and they're the ones who are the messengers. They're the ones who carry the news. Illustratively showing that God works through ordinary people doing ordinary things, but somehow he does the extraordinary through it. And he wants you to see what he's doing and then become a part of it. I've been telling those who I've been talking with this morning, as they've been asking, you know, hey, you know, what, 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 what are we going to preach this morning? And I mean, we kind of know, but you know, where are things going? And I've been telling everybody, I, I don't know how this thing's going to end. Because I've got like three or four sermons spinning around in my mind with what's going on with where we're going to conclude with this. Because I'm in process with this myself. I'm in process with continuing to learn and understand what does it mean that if I have Jesus, I have peace. And that peace is accessible to me and life-changing and tangible for me. Many of you know that a couple months ago, eh, it hasn't been that long, it feels like it, maybe a month ago, I was away for two months on a sabbatical. And, you know, I get to be a part of a church family that blesses our staff with those of us who have been here seven years or longer with a sabbatical now. So I got to go away for two months and refocus and renew and rest. And I remember just like three or four days into this sabbatical, and understand, you know, in 31 years, I've never been on one of these. And I, I realize most of you probably will never get to be on one of those. So I had no frame of reference for this. So it's like, what's this going to be like? Three or four days in, I, I'm, I'm out of my normal routine of, of doing the, the life that I do and, and, you know, having community here and, and having a rhythm to my week. And now everything is just... <laughs> and as I'm spending some time with the Lord in that and, and trying to figure out, I find myself being anxious I begin to tap my foot. You know, and then I begin to chew my nails. And you can tell how far along I am in sermon development by the length of my nails, usually. You know, it's just a nervous habit I have. And I realize, man, I, I'm a lot more anxious than I realize. What is that about? Where's that, where's that coming from? And on this sabbatical, it just seemed like wherever I read in my Bible, and maybe you've had this experience, but... When God wants you to get something, he makes sure you get it. And it seems like everywhere you read, because he's so good and so loving and so amazing, he makes sure you see it over and over again. And the reality that I kept being reminded of is God is near. God is near. God is near. Even when it doesn't feel like it, God is near. Even when circumstances are awful, God is near. Even when it doesn't feel like it. God is near. And I kept coming back to this passage in the New Testament. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How does that work? I, I, I want that. I, I need that. And I bet you do too. And the power and the potency and the reality of that, how that works is what precedes verse 6. And I deliberately left it out and started here. But what does it say there? Do you know why you can have peace? When your life is falling apart, when God feels distant or has left the scene, so it seems, when nothing is going right, when you're discouraged, when you're struggling, when you're, when you're hurting, do you know how you can have that peace and experience a peace that maybe you don't feel but transcends what's going on? It's by recognizing and responding to the reality that God is near because he's here. When you receive Jesus into your life, God literally through his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And again, I, I, I don't know of another worldview or religion that teaches that knowing God is about having him inside of you. He wants to get so close to you, have such intimacy with you that he comes and lives inside of you. And again, how, how does... How does that work? I mean, in fairness, I would imagine there are at least some of you who are thinking, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. I mean, I've, I've, you're talking about peace. I've got my own problems to worry about, quite frankly. Man, I'm discouraged. I'm struggling. I'm in crisis. I've... I've failed at this. And this is an unapologetic primer for what's coming our way. Now, you have to be here next week because we're finishing the songs of Christmas with Simeon's song. Sean's going to come bring that word to us. I'm very excited. You've got to be here. But then when we start the new year, we're going deliberately back to an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. And the people of Nehemiah were discouraged and despairing and felt like God had walked out on them and were wondering if God kept his promises and they were de depressed and they had failed epically. And yet God somehow comes to them and does amazing things through ordinary people. If you've ever felt like that, you need to come back. Because this is going to speak directly to where you're at. Yesterday, I called a couple folks who really unrelated to one another. They, they, they both go to our church, but I don't think they know each other. And these two ladies miraculously survived car crashes that should have taken their lives. One of them, what happened here, and she literally walked away from this crash that completely totaled her car without a scratch. Now, I know it doesn't always happen that way, but it was profoundly traumatic, as you might imagine. I mean, her car's totaled. She's lost her car, and, you know, it took 
um, over an hour for the tow truck to get there, and I'm sure they're busy this time of year. And I'm, there were all these things that if she could have chosen to, she could have just been absolutely, you know, in the gutter. And again, this isn't about pretending things are ever better than they are. Thankfully, the Bible never tells us to do that. God never expects that. But instead, she had this overwhelming peace. She said, you know, I know there's no guarantees that all this is going to work out or that the insurance company will give me enough money to actually get a replacement car. And I mean, there's all sorts of reality swimming around this. But Jay, I, I have this peace because I know that Jesus is with me. And then I picked up the phone and called this other person who was visiting family in another state. She had borrowed her sister's car to take some of the family to the airport, and she got in a horrific accident. And she should have lost her life too. I mean, broken, broken ribs, broken collarbone, punctured lung. And yet, none of those, believe it or not, none of those injuries needed surgery. She's in a, recovering in a, in a rehab facility, but there's no question. I mean, the EMS and all the people who saw her car, the firefighters who extricated her from it, said, there's no way you should have survived this. You, you should have died. And again, with all this crisis in her life, this trauma that she's gone through, she's talking about the peace of God. And talking about this reality that, that I know God is near to me. And, and I know that despite things being difficult and struggling, I can have this peace. Not that necessarily everything's going to be okay, but that God is with me no matter what happens. My friends, if you and I can get our hands and our hearts around that reality, it changes your life. You stop looking for peace under a Christmas tree or out of the back of an Amazon truck or what you can accomplish or what other people say about you on social or about what you have in your bank account or how your health is going. You stop looking for peace in those things and you begin to realize the peace you've always been looking for if you have Jesus, is right here. It's yours to have. You believe him, you take him at his word, and then you experience the power of his word in this promise of peace. Would you like to have peace this morning? It, it really is yours to have. It starts with the defining moment decision to receive Jesus into your life. And then it comes from remembering, recognizing, responding to the reality that he is in your life. And he wants to give you peace. Even when you don't feel it, even when it doesn't seem like it, it's yours to have. And so I'd like to pray his peace over you as our worship team comes and as we once again glorify God by praising him and singing to him and remembering the reality of what he's done for each one of us. He is the Prince of Peace, and He gives you and me His peace. Let's believe that. Let's experience that. Let's remember that. Lord, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that you came to make peace between us and you when you didn't have to. You are not our enemy, but we declare ourselves to be yours when we live our lives independent of you when we make life all about us, when we choose to default to selfishness 
and self-focused. Thank you, God, that we don't have to live like that. Thank you that our story can be a story of peace and hope and purpose and joy because of what you have done for us, because you are the Father's gift to us. So would we choose to receive you as our gift here this morning? And for those of us who have already done that, would we remember the peace that you bring to us? Lord, we choose now to remember who you are and what you've done for us, and we celebrate that in your name. Amen. Amen. So this is one of my favorite parts of our Christmas Eve services, and it's when we light our our candles together. And just as singing is a response of worship and listening and learning and growing in God's word together is a response of worship, let's make this a response of worship too. Not just lighting a candle, but but meaning something between you and, and the Lord. I mean, for some of you, you realize I, I haven't made that defining moment decision to receive Jesus into my life. This is a great time to do that. And you don't do that by lighting a candle. You do that by asking him to come into your life. And for those of us who, who do know the Lord, this once again is asking for him to, to, to be with us. He is, but to give us his peace to declare our love for him, to celebrate and remember that he has, he has come. And for some of you in your spiritual journey, you may not be ready to, to receive him into your life, but light this candle as a, as a way of saying, I'm going to keep asking questions and thinking critically and seeking and, and seeing where this goes. But, but make this meaningful because it can be. So I'm going to invite our candle lighters to come forward and We're going to work our way down the rows and and light our candles together. For those of you who are watching, listening online, this is a great time to go find some candles if you haven't already and to join us in doing this. And together, we're going to celebrate and remember that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. He's the wonderful Counselor. He is everything he declares himself to be. And we remember that here and celebrate that here this morning. So let's light our candles and continue to sing to him. Do you look around the room? Realize not all of you can see what I see being up here, but it's, it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's meaningful. And with the reality in mind that we have a God who will never leave or forsake us. This is probably my least favorite time, but we blow out our candles. <laughs> so let's, let's blow these out together. So just some instructions here as we prepare to, prepare to leave and go into the rest of our Christmas Eve. That on your way out, we have uh, the same boxes that you got a candle from. You can drop it in there. I mean, if you want it, God bless you. Take it with you. 
But if you'd like to leave it, you can leave it there. We also have a basket there for those Connect cards that I was telling you about in the beginning of our time together. There's a place for you to drop those. And one of the ways that we as a church family choose to worship, we don't just do that by singing and learning from God's word. We do that by giving, giving ourselves relationally to others, giving time to others, and yes, giving our resources to others. So if you're a guest, we're really glad that you're here with us and you don't have to feel obligated in any way to do this. But for those of us who call Grace home and who are in community together, we choose to give a portion of our resources as an act of worship and we pool those resources and we're able to do things like Advent Conspiracy Community Christmas Party and all sorts of stuff. So if you'd like to drop your offering in the back on the way out, you can. We have a box there in the back that you can do so. But as we prepare to go from here, what's, what's on your plate this morning? What are you wrestling with? What are you anxious about? What are you afraid of? Questions of the heart. But the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jesus is God's gift of peace to us. And that peace is is yours to have. You just ask for it and then you experience it by believing in it. By believing in him. And so as we prepare to go, I would like to pray a prayer of blessing and really a blessing of peace over you that has been prayed over God's people for literally thousands of years. This is out of the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, verses 26 through 28. And for some of you, this will be familiar. But the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Merry Christmas to all of you. God bless you. And thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.